Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Becky. And this is track walking. Did that with my left hand. Pretty happy with that. I'm proud of you. Thanks, man. So tonight in studio, we have Becky Burton. Is this a studio? Yes. It is. The zebras make it a studio. So it's in our basement. It's so cold. But we only have one mic because I've yet to buy another one. I did not discuss the fact that that I saw pictures of you this weekend and it was like snowing. Was it's, it, it snowed it, it a, was, a tad bit. It was so hot at Coda this weekend. Must be nice. It wasn't. It I'd was rather be hot. hot than cold. Yeah. Well. No. No. I, I don't know. To, I don't know what to tell you. We, we're geographically we're screwed up here. Then it's it's not going to happen. Respectfully, you're wrong. Um, like there's only so much many clothes you can take off, and then you just want to peel your skin off to try to cool down. You can keep adding clothes and boots and layers and heat. But when it comes to driving, like you can you can drive when it's really hot. And it's fine. But when it's cold, it's just sort of like, it, at some point, it just falls apart. And you're like, I'm not really doing anything productive anymore. Because you don't have enough grip for the dynamics to be appropriate. Also, my hands don't work as well when it's cold. And I don't, not as productive with all those layers on. I'm on Team Becky here. Sorry, Scott. That's, that's fine. I mean, you can both be wrong. I really feel like this is foreshadowing of how this episode is going to go. No, I have a plan. This is going to be good. I have structure coming up. So Scott sent me a message uh, this morning and he's like, Becky's going to be on the show. And so I spent literally tens of minutes today thinking about how I wanted to do this. That's fair. And so what I came up with is is one time I was talking to um, a friend of mine who he and his wife worked together. And it was, we were sort of discussing the dynamics of that. And the analogy he gave is he said um, a relationship where you do that sort of thing, where you, where you have like professional work and a personal side, he said, it's like a rum and Coke. And he said, they're, they're two separate things and they're mixed together and everybody kind of likes them in different proportions. And it, you, you, have to, you have to get it right for those two people. And so that's why even though everybody can drink a rum and coke, if two people are drinking completely different rum and cokes, it can get be weird. And, and he explained it way better than I'm explaining it. But the point was, I wanted to lead into the show that Scott and Becky do all of the fantastic work they do together. And uh, plus, there's like the personal side of things. And that sounds fascinating and terrifying. And... So I wanted to get into the rum side first, which is the car side. I don't think we'll ever get to the Coke side because that's dumb. And I want to ask Becky about cars. Wait, why, why is rum cars? Like Why is rum cars? That's drinking, because it's, That's it's, drinking it, and driving, Seth. That, it's, in, it's intoxicating, Scott. It's, it's irresponsible. You want, me to, you want me to have love being intoxicating and then just driving being bubbly and sweet? I don't think so. Okay. It's your thing. <laughs> so 
Becky, I want to talk to you about cars because you do car stuff and I want to explore the why. <laughs> like we do this a lot with our guests. Like, why would you even do this? This is ridiculous. So what is prior to Scott, there must be something in your background where you like have an actual interest in this nonsense. Yeah. So I wouldn't really get into cars until Scott bought his Miata. Um, but I liked engines before that. And I like mechanics and I like the way that things are put together and um, that it's a bunch of simple machines that all work together to make a complex machine. Um, I remember like uh, learning about tractors with my grandpa when I was a little kid. Um okay. And then I got into motorcycles when my brother got a motorcycle when I was in high school and was interested in those. And that's kind of what got me into uh, enjoying the thrill of going fast. What what motorcycle did your brother get? He had a Yamaha R6. Oh, that's, could, uh, that's, serious. that's a serious bit of motorcycle. I could just touch both of my big toes to the ground at the same time or <laughs> one foot, <laughs> one whole foot. And so your brother like let you ride it around and he was like, sure, go have fun. Yeah. Your brother's awesome. Yeah, he was he was a little protective about it, like more so over the bike than me. He was like, whatever you do, don't scratch the bike. I don't I don't care what happens to you, but just don't scratch the bike. Yeah, because an R6 is a pretty serious street motorcycle. I mean, everybody who rides leader bikes will be like, whoa, 600. But like you can get yourself into trouble with something like that. Yeah, I'm, I may have crashed one not my brother's so it was fine oh yeah <laughs> it was my cousin's what was that bike that you crashed it was a it was a yamaha r6 okay so it was sort of like the yamaha r6 club around there that yeah <laughs> does your cousin know that you crashed it he didn't for quite a while oh that means it was a gentle one not a big deal his dad had it fixed without him knowing <gasps> why wow, your family's awesome <laughs> I, I don't know. I have different thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, about about very minor things associated with motorcycles. I'm impressed with yeah, them. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, tractor-wise, I also love tractors. you have any, like, tractor stories? Uh, Let's see, my grandpa had a Allison Chalmers Model B. <gasps> no. Yeah, my mom we, still we had, has we it. We had Alice Chalmers uh, C's when I was growing up. Okay, so... So the slightly smaller one, I think. I don't remember which direction it went. Uh, I think I learned to drive on a tractor before I learned to drive anything else on the big okay. bench seat with my grandpa, bale and hay. Were um, you big enough to push the clutch in or did he have no, to do No, definitely not. I'm still not big not. enough to push push the clutch in. <laughs> Those were big manly tractors back then, weren't they? They were just like, you needed like big strong legs and stuff to drive those. Yeah, he let me steer and do the uh, throttle. So my story with that is, so we had the, the Alice Chalmers, the, the C's. And when my brother was like six, my dad would climb on the tractor with him and get the tractor started in first gear um, with the disc on the back. Yep. And then he would jump off <laughs> and let my brother disc the, the back cornfield. And my brother had no way to stop the tractor because he wasn't strong enough to do anything with my dad was like if something happens just like chop the throttle down to zero and hope you're fine <laughs> and then like you know half an hour later he'd come back and check out and my brother's will be driving around in circles 
at oh, six yeah. years old. It, and he never did that with me. And I was, I, to this day, I'm slightly disappointed. Do you think that's what has made you a cautious driver that you never got to experience? That? <laughs> <laughs> she's, doing, could, she's doing what we do to other people. It could be. Um, like I always had, I always had fun with the, the lawnmower though. Like so our lawnmower was a craftsman lawnmower that had a clutch. Um, and so like my first, like dumping the clutch moments because my dad of course taught me to be like gentle with the clutch and do that and then of course i learned how to do burnouts with the lawnmower <laughs> um, by you know putting it in third and revving it all the way up and dumping the clutch and leaving big burnout marks in the lawn of course because um, that's what one does and i think that's why all lawnmowers went to hydromatic transmission so the kids didn't destroy them um well, my grandpa let me drive the riding lawnmower also, but before I was heavy enough to hold down the safety switch with the seat, yep. so he he duct taped it for me so I could still ride around by myself. See, that's what responsible adults used to do. I learned so much from that. I know. You learn about lines. You learn about how not like to go where you're looking, not hit stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, totally. Scott's giving me a look right now like this is what we're talking about on the show. This is important, Scott. It's fine. It's fine. My gra- my grandfather had a farm. I mean, I get it. I just it's fine. No, background is important. Like I, I need I, I don't I know I don't know I don't know these things about Becky. These are very important things about I feel like uh, that was very uh impactful on how I turned out. See, Seth, I, I feel like you're making me the outside, the bad guy right now. Is what's no, happening. the problem is you can't really interview Becky because you know everything already. I'm going for things that I don't know to make this a good interview. And we only have one mic over here, so it's like it's, there's, there's like has to be a distinct like... Okay, you don't have to talk Becky, at all then. And <laughs> So, Becky, first car. I want to know what your first car was. My first car was a Pontiac Grand Prix. Oh, that's very West Michigan. Yep. Like that's there were so many of those floating around during that time. It was a hand me down. As they all were. Yep. Um I don't know what to say about that. They were kind of terrible. It was it was fine for me. I didn't you know, I didn't know much about cars back then, you know, 16-year-old Becky. That was but, that was during during the whole era where like those Pontiacs would run badly for just an incredibly long time. Yeah, until they rusted out. Right, they, from like eighteen months, they got like thirty thousand miles on them, and then they just ran bad for the entire rest of the time <laughs> that they were alive. Uh, I, uh, my older brother didn't have a car, so he borrowed my Grand Prix a lot, uh, and I just he just reminded me a couple months ago that he was the one that drove it into the ground you wrecked the transmission or something and that was it was old enough that it was not worth it to fix it yeah and another grand prix dies that's why there's none of them around anymore because they were driven to death so scott has his fun pt cruiser stories that we love to hear about do you have you have any like was literally looking at ptgt's today on marketplace (laughs) I, i saw one i saw I drove by a convertible GT Cruiser like two weeks ago. I hate the convertibles though. I know, but I almost wanted, like I almost stopped to see how much it costs because like inflicting one of those upon you would be one of my happiest things to do. 
James Morgan has threatened if he ever wins the lottery that he's just going to start buying his good friend's dumb shit all the time. And he said it will rain PT cruisers on me if he ever be, wins the lottery. It would be amazing. So Becky, you have the you've got the the Grand Prix. Do you have any other like notable cars in your history? Well, after the Grand Prix, I had a uh Plymouth Neon. Yes. Manual that I loved. And I Fantastic learned to cars. drive a manual with that car. So, if James Morgan does win the lottery, I want a Neon. All right. Disposable Dodge <laughs> to play around with. Was it a two-door or four-door Neon? It was a two-door. Up until ah, the Mazda 2, I've ones. only ever owned two-door cars. Classy. I like that. I don't think it was um, on purpose. Just, just yeah, it just that happens way. that yeah. way sometimes. So you never, like, before meeting Scott, you didn't know that this ridiculous world existed? Well, my dad had a Corvette uh, 65 coupe that used to be a racing Corvette. So I always, he would tell me stories about that. And um, I don't think he ever raced it, um, but he had some friends with Corvettes also that were into that. So, like, I knew that it existed and I always dreamed of fixing up that Corvette, with which my brother still has. Um so I kind of had an interest in it, but then I just didn't have anyone else in my life who was into it until I heard that Scott bought the Miata and just like asked him a million questions about what he was doing and why and what for. Seems like a reasonable course of action, actually. But not like a, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? It was more like a, I'm really interested to know what this is about. Yeah, because in, in your world, like a Miata is kind of a strange car. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a, it's a convertible, like a Sunday, <laughs> Sunday drive right, like, car. Like no offense to anyone, like it's like it's a hairdresser's car, right? Like yeah. that's the that's the the thought process for most people outside of the Miata world until recently when they became cool. Yeah, exactly. There's they are cool, Scott. You know they're cool. I've seen all the kids driving Miatas lately. It's weird. I mean, I. I think they're cool. A lot of people think they're cool, but it's still a Miata. Like the have, the, the level of cool, like there's a ceiling, you know, to how cool a Miata can be. That's all I'm saying. But I see high school kids on lowered Miatas frequently now, driving out of the, the high schools where my kids go to school. And okay, so they're not, nobody's driving those cars on accident. I'm surprised they're, they can afford them anymore because the Miatas are not cheap anymore. Uh, also, kids are driving lifted trucks and you know newer Camaros, and it, it's a it's a big diverse high school. Kid kids these days. I agree, hundred um, percent. So the other the other mechanical thing is you like career wise, you do interesting stuff. How did you? What do you do and how did you get into what you do? Because I feel, and honestly, like, I feel like this is all relevant to where I'm going with this. Okay. Uh, so I'm a project manager for a residential remodeling company. And um, I kind of got into this, the building industry when I started remodeling my own house. Um, I inherited a house that was, uh, I thought I was just going to like fix some plaster and put in some new fixtures but then I ended up like all new windows replacing all the siding new roof gutting the whole inside running my own electrical 
all new plumbing and doing all that myself. So um, I started going to the local lumber yard like every day for my own stuff. And um, then they hired me. That's how I got into this. That's fantastic. <laughs> they were like, you seem to know what you're doing and be a intelligent person and we need help. So so they recognized competence and just dragged you in. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Things just like seem to work Scott out for too. me. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're as a matter of fact, that so that's my transition because like you're you're known amongst the track community people for being good and thorough at what you do for Scott. She wouldn't have it any other way. That that's kind of where I'm at right now. You why do you do such a good job? I just like to be good at things. <laughs> I feel like I could use that knowledge for evil at some point, but <laughs> I uh in the words of one of my favorite fictional characters, Ron Swanson. Never half-ass two things when you can whole-ass one thing. So, basically, I just like to put everything that I can into whatever I'm doing. Because I don't... It's like a personal... I don't want to <laughs> be bad at things. So it's one of those things where like being bad at something makes you feel bad, but being good at something makes you feel good? Yes. I also just don't want other people to think I'm bad at things. Oh, it's, so it's, it's, there's the external thing. That's it's the, the ex definitely it's the external thing as well. Well, I it's mean, not a bad thing. I'm just I'm internally motivated as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't I be actually be good at things. But I uh, I use the external pressure as an extra. <laughs> How is being a woman in the construction industry, like, like, do you feel pressure because you're a woman doing the job that you do that you, you may not feel that the men in doing the same job may not feel? I think in my, in my current role, it's not as noticeable, um, just because I'm working with the same people all the time. So they are used to me being around, but I do, um, especially when I was working at the lumber yard and had different customers every time, I would notice a lot of things like um, men would come in. I was training um, a, a new coworker and he was a male and but didn't know what he was doing and customers who didn't know me would come in and talk to him and I would answer all their questions and then they would respond to him instead of me and things like that. Um, and I guess I, uh, it's kind of become natural for me to not make as big of a deal about those things, but it really bothered me at first. And I really noticed things and did feel a lot of pressure to, mm, yeah, I felt a lot of pressure to make sure I knew what I was talking about so that uh, nobody could point to it and say, see, you don't because you're a woman. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're a dude and you get it wrong, you just didn't know something. Exactly. But if if you're a woman and get it wrong, it's because you're a woman. Because you don't belong here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, I wish I could make that go away. Yeah, that's something, Sally. Um, actually, I think all the women we've ever had on, Sally. Um, the. 
what did she say? It was it was something about in the paddock that if she ever like tapped anybody or you know, she had to be super clean. She just she had to be so good, like so much better than everybody. Because right. the littlest, tiniest thing would have come down on her like fourfold. Well, I even I was thinking about this um, because I knew you were going to ask how I got into racing and stuff. And I'm always hesitant to tell people that it's only because of Scott that I got into this because I feel like as a woman, it's like, oh, you're only doing that because your boyfriend is doing it. But like everybody's got somebody in their lives that got them into racing. And like um, Scott's dad got him interested, but nobody would say like, you're only doing this because your dad did it. Right. You know? Yeah, and I and I could say the same thing. Like I got into it because a friend of mine said you should definitely come do this. But if I was if I was a woman and you know a guy invited me, it's like oh you only came along because a guy was trying to hit on you. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I to be think fair, when, when to I, be fair, I was not actually hitting on her at the time. You hit on her later. That came later. Okay. And technically, she hit on me. All right, I'll, I'll believe that if it makes you happy. So my, my daughter deals with it. I actually almost think it's a little bit easier for, for young women whose dads are doing things with them because in the paddock, when it's a family thing, it, I think it matters less because kind of everybody's dad is there, right? Yeah. And so the, the group of kids, and my daughter was, when we were at Circuit of the Americas this weekend, she was... She ran off with this this pack of feral track rat kids, and they all ran and got into places they shouldn't be and did all this stuff. But they've been a mixed gender group of kids between, you know, when they started, the youngest ones were 9, 10, 11, and the oldest ones were 13 or 14. And now that that whole group is now between, you know, 12 and 16. Um, but they've always been a mixed gender group who came to the track with their dads and like their biggest thing is like, can I beat you? And it's never been a gender thing because the fast people have always been young women who are 16, 17, 18 years old. And so that's been a really fascinating group of kids to watch in particular, um, because that's way different than my car people experiences. Yeah. I think it definitely is changing with younger people. Um, and I've seen that, in a lot of different ways of just not them not even noticing that it's strange that um, like, especially on the construction site sometimes, or like when people bring little kids, they never, Oh, this is what it was. I had some boy scouts come out to one of my job sites um, because they were doing a construction unit and they had to go and visit a job site. And one of their dads asked me because we were friends if they could come out and I could show them around the job site and teach them about construction and answer their questions. And none of them said anything about me being a woman. <laughs> and I was really impressed by that because there, it wasn't a noticeable thing to them. And that gives me a lot of hope for the future. And um, a lot of the times that I have... Um, noticed especially in the construction industry someone treating me differently it's usually an older man so i think it is changing yeah i think there's there's definitely a generational gap um with that and my daughter sonia experiences that especially with motorcycle 
racing guys. Like if you, if you do three distinct generations for, you know, kids her age and their dads, and then people in their fifties and sixties, they like, you could, you could draw distinct characteristics. This group treats me like this, this group treats me like this. And it's not that it's negative, but it's definitely different. Yeah. I really think a lot of them don't even know that they're doing it or mean anything by it. They just don't, it's so ingrained that it's just, yeah, it's not even. It, it, yeah. It's yeah. just life. It's yep. just things are the way they are. So I'm, I am really glad to see that changing. And that's why I wanted to ask you about construction stuff because I don't hang, I mean, other than like going to home Depot and treating everybody the same at home Depot, I don't do, I mean, all my construction stuff is at home. So like my opinion is the only one that I reach because it's me swearing at myself about doing stuff wrong. So sure. <laughs> Um, today, the lady at Home Depot was really nice when I had to return plumbing fittings because no one's ever able to purchase the correct plumbing fittings the first time. No, nope. you either have to buy extra or you're definitely making at least five trips. Yeah, I almost bought both sizes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Buy all and the sizes. I was convinced there's two options and I was like, looked at them and looked at them. And I was like, got to be this one. Got home, like held it up to the piece I need to replace. And I was like, definitely not that one. <laughs> Always buy both because you made two trips anyway. So that's where I was at. Yeah. So this wisdom from Becky here. Ah, could have used your wisdom earlier. You just call me next time. I'll do that. So you met Scott. Um, we're clearly more infatuated with Scott's Miata than with Scott, um, as one should be. It's, Scott just made a face. I want to hear what you have to say, Scott. Thanks, Seth. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we knew each other before the car stuff, to be fair. Okay, we you did, just got more interesting when you bought a Miata? That, that's a Becky question. I wanted in on that Miata action. <laughs> that is the most common phrase ever in the Miata community, really. <laughs> he let me drive it right away, and that was... I did. Yeah, that, that was actually... <laughs> probably a, an early sign but no it was um it was before the miata still had the soft top on it didn't have any of the cage things had definitely been started to be taken off of it but it was i'd gotten it like the month before the one lap and so this must have been 2017 yeah 2017 and I got it in April and then I wanted to go down to the one lap because I'm so close and that's like what I did before I actually did the one lap is I went down to South Bend and kind of saw the cars off and poked around and talked to Tim before I knew Tim and you know all that stuff and I wait you were down there the first year I did it with a Cadillac yeah how did I not know that I don't know I've was, known you for all these years I yeah I've I had been going to the one lap, I'd been like three times before I actually did the one lap. So we, right. like, like we occupied the same space before we fell in love. I, I literally had no idea. Did, did Scott take you down to see one lap shenanigans? Yes, that was the day that I drove the Miata. What did you think? I mean, A, like Scott had to have explained like his passion for this idiocy which is why he wanted to do it but what did you think 
when you actually saw all of us? Well, I had never heard of the one lap before, so I asked a lot of questions about, like, what are they actually doing? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent question. (laughs) What and why? You still ask that. (laughs) Yeah, um, so I didn't quite get it at first. Common response, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so, like, even when you came down and looked at all these cars sitting there, stickers on, ready to do skid pad, like, you were like, but why? Yeah, and I wasn't really familiar with even road course driving at that time. So, like, I didn't know what that was or how people compete doing that or, um, you know, the only racing that I had known about was like NASCAR uh, okay, or, you know, the basic ones. Yeah. Even being that it, it's funny that you could be that close to Gingerman. Like, it, like that's the thing is you're, you're close to a decent road course. You have no idea what's going on. Cause it's oh, yeah. just, I tell people all the, the time what we do and they don't, um, you know, I try to explain what a road course is and they don't get it. So for the future, Almost everybody knows what a go-kart track is because they've all done rental go-karts. This and is a big go-kart track. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a go-kart track, but bigger and for cars. That's perfect. And almost everybody then understands what you do. <laughs> um, and I have to use that that all the time with people when I explain what's going on with motorcycles. I explain that I literally do it on, on go-kart tracks, but also people do it on tracks that are like big go-kart tracks and it <laughs> blows their mind. They're like, whoa, like Harleys? I'm like, no. Guys, we go back up here. <laughs> but I mean, they do also do it with Harleys, but that's just weird Baggers. stuff. Bagger racing is the coolest thing in uh, motorcycle racing. Just I hundred percent agree with you, Sonia. We were we were at the MotoGP races at uh, Circuit of the Americas this weekend, and for support series, they ran two things. They ran uh, North American Talent Cup, which was young kids riding road course bikes, which I would talk about for hours, but I won't. And then they ran the. Um, the Moto America Superbikes, and we came away with that going. They definitely shouldn't have run the Superbikes. They definitely should have run the Baggers. Um, it, the the racing would have been more entertaining, and the number of people running around, walking around with King of the Baggers like shirts and hats on was amazing. That is a thing that people love right now, and more than like normal motorcycle racing in the U.S. So that's going to be an interesting thing going forward. Well, and I, I think to me what's interesting is like a little bit like GLTC, they all look different. They all have different strengths. Like it's club racing, but they're kind of balanced. So the way that they go around a track, you can definitely see the ones that have a lot of power. They don't break as well. They can't kind of t- get around a corner as well, but they can get down a straightaway just fine. Right. So to see that the gamesmanship that happens is fascinating. Basically, watching the racing is good. And and almost everybody can watch a good battle on track, whether it's motorcycles or cars or semis or anything. And good racing is good racing. And people who watch racing kind of don't care about rule structures or spec tires or all those things that racers worry about they just want to go see like a really good battle and be entertained and cheer for somebody and do all that stuff and um 
GLTC has that right and King of the Baggers has that right. And um, yeah, I could wax poetic about this for a really long time. But you, so you signed on to One Lab Shenanigans. Like you were there at the beginning. You were like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, so I went uh, in 2017 just to spectate at South Bend with Scott. And then um, I guess partially just because I asked Scott so many questions about the race car, just because I was interested and I like to learn about things and um, I had access to asking him about <laughs> those things. Um, and then also because Scott wanted to do it and um, when he thought to himself what crazy people do I know who might be willing to do this with me? I guess I was one of the people that came to mind. Yeah. That's Scott. And I have said it repeatedly. The hardest part of one lap is finding a co-driver that you know, will be there um, in South Bend. Obviously he hasn't had that, but he's seen that like yeah. we're dealing that with, with friends of ours right now, like you deciding to go, you coming up with the money, you prepping a car. That's, kind of trivial compared to knowing like truly knowing that there will be somebody in the car with you in South Bend at the beginning. Um, and I do pick on Scott a little bit about like, dude, you don't even have that challenge. The hardest part is the easiest part for you. It's lame. Well, um, I just like adventure and like a lot of people call me adventure Becky as a nickname. And, uh, it's my go-kart racing name <laughs> oh nice uh, i like that and it just sounded like a really cool opportunity to me that i didn't know if i would ever have again and um surprise you have it every year now <laughs> surprise <laughs> now you can't get away from it <laughs> so i just didn't want to miss out on that opportunity and i thought it would be fun do you adventure wise have you, are you like a road trip person i love road trips we're been anywhere cool like cool cool that sticks out for you uh, not lately, but, um, I'm thinking about a lot of trips that my family took when we were kids and like, uh, Joshua tree national park, it's Lake Havasu awesome. are some of my favorites. So yeah, when you, when you grew up in the Midwest, that whole like desert Southwest thing is exotic and yeah, awesome. Definitely. Like when you see like. Joshua trees are crazy because it looks like Dr. Like literally Dr. Seuss drew them. Yes. And there's like got but, all those boulders there that you can climb up on and. Yep. All I didn't go out there until I was in college, but um, the it wasn't until I was in college that I got to the desert and I was like cactuses, fields of cactuses. Yeah. This is amazing. And I just was like a little kid because it was so exotic and so amazing. Yep. Um, so how do you, how did you transition from asking Scott a billion questions to like, I'm going to be, there's a whole bunch of stuff you're responsible for now. Um, as far as your, your amazing notebook and checking, you know, lug nut torque and, you know, all of those responsibilities that you have, how, what's, what was the transition from asking questions to almost being in charge of all or, absolutely being in charge of those things well i think a lot of it i just took over <laughs> because of who i am as a person um like i remember the first track weekend that i went to to like 
figure out what Scott actually does at a road course and like what I was going to need to be familiar with for the one lap. Um, I think Scott made the comment that like I just started helping more than he expected me to and like started doing things <laughs> and asking what I could do. And I just, um, I guess that's kind of a personality thing is I like to help and I like to learn as much as possible. And um, if I do it myself, I learn better. Um, and then it got to the point where it's partially a, a I guess, a pride thing of like, I want to be the one who does this. And also kind of going back to that, um, like <laughs> not wanting people to think that I'm just like a fake pit crew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I've had a lot of people like Scott will say, this is my crew chief. And the guy will like smile and wink at me and be like, Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> To the point that, like, I, I'm i really super stubborn about it, too. Like, I don't like Scott to even help me work on Mooncake because I want to be able to say that I did it all myself so people can't say, your boyfriend prepped that car for you. <laughs> I, ta- I really take it to an extreme, I think. Even if nobody's going to ask you that, you just need to know that I gotta be yourself. ready. I got to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, this is this is our think deep, it is, this is our deep dive yeah. psyche thing that we're going to do here. We're I think get it, into is, the, it is the nuts more and about, bolts of Becky's brain. Well, if I do it myself, I'll learn it better than okay. if I watch Scott do it or he tells me every step of the way. Like that's just how my brain works. I want to struggle with figuring it out because then I'll actually learn the whole picture and not just that I need to turn this wrench this way at this time. Yeah, I can see that. And, and I mean, arguably, like you're, there's a reasonable chance you're going to have to fix it. And yeah. fixing your own work is way easier than fixing someone else's work. And it just feels good to me to be able to do it myself. Um, it's really, sometimes it's a challenge. Like I, I want to avoid doing things because of the possibility that I might not know what to do. But... If I do them, then I find out that that was that I can do more than I think I can. It's that whole everything's hard until you've done it. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So like doing things for myself really helps me build a lot of confidence in myself. Do you think the men around you have that same thing? Or is it is it because you find yourself as a woman in this? Or is that just like, am I just reading too much into it? And you're like, no, that's just Becky. No, I definitely was super stubborn about that because I don't want other people to think that I didn't do it. Okay. Because I'm a woman. I can see that. Do you, do you ever entertain the possibility that, that that's almost a weakness sometimes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, sometimes have to have it pointed out to me, but yes. Yeah, no, like, and and I'm thinking of this, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, like an immature thing, but like I, I whenever somebody's like, no, I have to do it myself, I always think of. Oh, it's know, totally like your, a two-year-old wanting to put their own clothes on. That's exactly where yep. I was going to be. I was like, it's a two-year-old trying to put socks on and they're like, no, 
I'm going to put my own socks on and they're screaming and crying and trying to get them on their feet. And you're like, dude, this will take like 10 seconds. And yeah, that thing. And I've, I've definitely seen adults do it as well in, yeah. And in an effort to be independent with stuff. Um, yeah. I think I've I think, actually done that exact scenario, but. But with, Scott, with Scott and I have talked about the fact, Scott and I have certainly talked about the fact that, you know, we watch, we watch people do things the hard way and there's no way to make them do it the way that we think is better because they have to go through the process of, of finding that out um, because we've done it. And I think that's, I think that's the frustrating part is like, we've Scott and I have both been in that position, right? Like, no, I'm going to do this because I want it to be done and I want to know how to do it. And then when we watch somebody else do it, we're like, well, I could just do it for you. It'd be easy. And it's really hard to put ourselves back in those same shoes. Um, again, and, and sort of put ourselves back in the, the situation where we're doing it the hard way and that's okay. Yeah. And I definitely see that in construction and I, I recognize that in, in homeowners, um, when I know how to do something that they don't know how to do. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the, my construction thing with that is drywall. Like, I could hire somebody to do drywall who's good at it and it would be done in whatever it is, three days it takes, right? Or I could continue to do it myself just because I want to and be, I don't know, 18 years into the project. And I know that about myself and I do it anyway. I think Becky would agree to hire drywall out. <laughs> <laughs> but drywall, drywall sucks. Am I wrong? But drywallers also sometimes suck I for sure because it's drywall they hate life but would you but would you hi, would you have hired drywall out before doing it you would, know what I mean like before the first time you had done it no because I did my own drywall <laughs> exactly before I knew how to do it <laughs> right but you but you've got to do it and then like like you've got to do it and know how to do it before you, you know can feel it, comfortable yep. having someone else do it for you the only thing for me like i was never doing things on cars to like to learn like i was doing things because i wanted the results and the only way I could do it because I couldn't afford to pay somebody else to do it. I couldn't um, like hire it out. And, you know, this was back in the days of the forum when, you know, you had to, if you wanted to know how to do it, you had to read like a massive tutorial that you hope somebody got right. You didn't have YouTube videos that you could like watch when people screw up and stuff like that. So it's like for me, like doing stuff on cars wasn't, it wasn't like a stubborn, let me learn thing. It was like, hey, I want to go faster. So I'm going to put this thing on my car. So I guess I have to figure out how to do it. And that's kind of how I learned. So I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like, I think, I think there's the differences between Becky and I would be that she genuinely like wants to learn wants to know the process and i kind of happened into that 
by just okay. wanting like a faster, cooler PT cruiser. Yes, that's right. <laughs> because that's a thing that cool I, I thought existed at the time. And it does, but again, the ceiling on a PT cruiser is like a four, maybe. Right, and right. The like f- the coolest PT cruiser yeah. is a four. Yeah. Which is yeah, a I'm, cool PT cruiser, but it's like it it's a cool PT cruiser. Yeah. See, I'm I'm definitely more still on, on Team Becky with this because I still do things No, and not not just on Team Becky, just to be anti Scott. I, I can be anti Scott about other things, but but I'm I, I am more I the reason I'm poking at this with Becky is because I'm more like this as well. There's been people always said when I built my garage people always said, you know, like you can hire somebody to do this or that or the other thing. And I said, I don't, I don't want, I don't just want to have a garage. I want to build a garage. And those are two different things. If I just wanted to have a garage, I would have paid somebody for it, but I want to build a garage. Um, I probably only want to build one garage. I don't know if I want to build another one, but I wanted that experience the first time. Certainly. Um, it's definitely, I find it very satisfying to do things for myself. Um, that's part of it for me. Um, along those lines, people would say to me, like, when I started remodeling my house, who's helping you with this? Like, there was always an air of, you can't do this. Some people even said, like, you're not doing that yourself, are you? And um, that kind of fueled the, I have to do it myself. And no, I, I don't think I would hire a drywaller even after I know how bad drywall is. <laughs> because why would I? Because I know how to do it, and I'm probably going to do it more to my satisfaction than they are. Yes, I, I feel And the that's same probably way. why so, I don't like anybody else working on the car, too. <laughs> cool. You're, I don't want to say you're, uh, you're easy to read with this, Becky, but at least you're going to be easy to predict. Yeah. Well, I've definitely got some deep, dark secrets that you haven't unearthed yet, so. I don't. I don't know that we're not doing deep dark secrets. Why does everybody think that about us, Scott? Well, <laughs> we, we try to poke. We did a little bit, maybe shallow dark secrets. Maybe that's all we go for. So, um, you're good at what you do because you want to be. I also yeah? want people to think that I am so. I make sure that I make it look like I am. Okay, so now you are driving. Yep. Which is which is a whole thing. Yeah, I. Th- <laughs> it's a well-crafted question. I just have to say that's. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know if there was a question in there, but (laughs) I can get her to answer it anyway. Go. Well, mostly because we just went to the track this weekend and I had a lot of thoughts about me driving because, because I, I do the same thing in my head that I've done with like everything that's hard, (laughs) which is I, try it the first time and okay so what happened was we went to Putnam Park and it was very cold in the morning it even snowed a little bit 
and I went out for the first session with very cold tires and very cold pavement and the track was super slick and a whole bunch of people went off. I was in a very large group. Um, so there wasn't very much open track time. The track was slick. We got like three or four laps before they black flagged the whole session because so many people were going off and I looked at my, okay. And that was okay. I was like, that's fine. I'll, um, get more practice in the next session. So I had three or four laps, um, with very unideal conditions. And then I rode along with Scott for a session and it was warming up a little bit. Um, he got to his, he had a whole clean session, like no black flags or any incidents and he drove really fast and riding in the passenger seat feels a lot different than driving. And in my head, I went, I can't do this. I don't belong here because in the three laps that I drove, I did not nearly go as fast as Scott did. And it took me all day to overcome that in my mind. Did you overcome it? I mean, did you feel like you belonged at the end of the day? Um, so my next session got canceled. Um, and for me, it's like, a, I just have to do it and then I'll feel better. Even though I, uh, have a lot of dread going into the next session at that time, but I know that just doing it is going to alleviate that. So my next session got canceled. I got all ready and I went up to grid and it got canceled. So then the session after that, we got black flagged in the second lap <laughs> and then they re-released us and we got black flagged in the out lap. I've got, I've got content for the next episode because I was pissed. This is, this is starting to become like a comedy routine. It was the same car that black flagged us both times. <sighs> um, the bastards. So then that session was canceled. So this like mental problem that I'm having with myself of feeling like I don't belong is not give, getting any relief because I'm not able to go out and drive a clean session. And finally, the last session of the day was I got the full session and track was great and I did so much better and I felt really good. And once I start driving out there, I forget about all that stuff and I'm able to focus on what I'm doing and I felt really good about how I did and I was really proud of myself. But I had to go through that whole thing <laughs> To get there because I wasn't amazing in the first couple of laps that I did. It's like the cruelest way to do that to you. <laughs> like nobody could have set up a day to be meaner to you <laughs> if they did it on purpose. It's kind of amazing. But it helped me think about what I do to myself. And I, it's a lesson I've learned over and over again is that I, my mind is my worst enemy and I, everything's worse in my mind. Like getting a shot, I, you know... I get all riled up about it and then it's like a tiny poke in the arm and it's no big deal. Or like, I, I just get myself worked up in my brain more than is reasonable. So you, you're going to have to develop that, that like pre-race routine to put yourself in the right headspace or, do you, or does it just fix itself when you go out on track? It falls away pretty fast when I go out on track. Okay. But it would You're, be, it, I would enjoy it better if I didn't <laughs> have to suffer through that in the meantime. Yeah. So did you drive, did you just drive Saturday? You drive Saturday and Sunday. We drove Saturday at Putnam Park and then Sunday at Gingerman. Okay. How was, how was your brain at Gingerman in comparison? 
it was knowing it's your home track. Yeah, and all that so it stuff. made it a lot easier because it it's our home track, and I already knew the track. She also asked me to take the first session of the day, <laughs> and I asked, "Is that is that because it's cold and everything's going to be cold?" She said, eh, "Kind of." But I mean, knowing myself and how much of a struggle that was for me the day before, I would have done the same thing to Scott, hundred percent. But it was easier just because I was familiar with the track, so it was easier for me to get into the focus on what I'm doing and hitting my marks and all of the things that I need to focus on on track rather than just trying to learn a new track um, and be awesome at it in a very large run group. There are also not many people at Gingerman, so it was a lot of open track. Um, I wasn't worried about getting in people's way as much or pointing people by, which is a problem. <laughs> that I struggle with also. So you're, you're a driver now. I mean, arguably you were before now, but, but now we can go coming into one lap. You've got your experience to be a driver at one lap. You're going to drive on one lap. You're, you're a driver. How going forward, how are you going to, going to treat yourself knowing, knowing how you feel about everything else that you do? Like we talk about, Drivers having goals and doing that sort of thing. Where are you going with this? I think this actually circles back a little bit to what we were talking about in the beginning. Um, well, let me start here. Um, I'm really fortunate to have uh, free, high-quality coaching available <laughs> almost all the time. And I think that's really helped my driver performance. Um, it's also, I'm a very competitive person and naturally want to compare myself to other people. And I have a tough person to compare myself to. <laughs> um, so I really have to do a lot of work trying to only compete with myself. And um, I know that going into one lap, I place a lot of expectation on myself of what I think other people expect of me and um, I want to perform well in front of other people um, I think it helps on the one lap because the people that we're going to be running with are all our friends um, I have a harder time trying to perform well in front of strangers and all of the things that I think they're assuming about me <laughs> when they see me um, that I know that my friends don't think um, I also hear a lot of <laughs> people will often joke like oh you're gonna go faster than scott and i really hate that do you why do you hate that because i feel like it's patronizing it's either patronizing or they really think that and now i have a, a oh, expectation no, have that i it? have to live up to yeah no yeah i can see that so i'm really trying to um set my own goals in doing better for myself and not you know, I have to go into something like the one lap knowing that I'm not going to be awesome the first time at a new track in three laps. Right. And I have to make it about something else, like going faster in the afternoon than I did in the morning or staying on track or, you know, winning for, for my own goals and not for beating other people. Yeah, I've never... Except for when I've done one lap and I, and I did that with Brian and 
I went into that kind of knowing Brian was better than me because I'd driven, I'd rally crossed with him for a really long time. Um, and it was a weird place to be knowing that, or at least believing that I knew that Brian was going to be faster than me. Um, and I, I often wonder how much that sort of handicapped me a little bit. Um, because if I drove well, it was like, yeah, I did good. But if I drove poorly, it was like, of course I drove poorly. Brian's better than me. Um, and that's like, I have a mental struggle. I always have a mental struggle with that at one lap. Um, in, in dealing with that mental aspect of it and then having that not affect my driving. Um, because, you know, you've got three laps and you kind of have to like go quick to start with. And then your second lap feels different than your first lap because you don't have the standing start anymore. So you're breaking into whatever corner one is different. And so your second lap is always an adjustment from the first lap. And then you try to internalize any mistakes you did in the third lap into the second lap. And I think it was too easy for me to just give up partway through that and go, ah, oh, well, I just didn't do this well. And then not make those, you know, not continue to do the improvement over those three laps the way you should do it. Um, I would actually be in my own head during the session rather than just driving well. Mm -hmm. um, I have a continual problem with that. So now you kind of make me want to drive this year, though. So now I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Scott's over there making <laughs> funny faces at me because he thinks I want to drive. And I don't know if I want to drive. And uh, No, no, no. It's not that I think you want to. It's like I know you need to. And I think it'll be good. Well, I, I resonated with uh, an episode a while ago that you were saying that you get uh, like some dread going into <laughs> lining up in grid. It's or the like, worst thing in the world. Yeah, I have that too. So... But it's usually only when I haven't done it in a while. I haven't driven on track in two years. I know. That's what. <laughs> and even, even The longer it's been, though, the worse it is. But even when I was driving a lot, when I was doing time trial and I was driving every month or six weeks, I'm still that way. Like I, I have the biggest I don't belong here feelings ever when I've got a helmet and a Hans on and I'm sitting in grid and there's like real drivers and real race cars next to me. And I'm like, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Why I should gotta... be watching this, not doing it. Why does it have to be like that? I don't really know. <laughs> and Scott can't, Scott can't commiserate with me. He's a terrible friend like that. I can commiserate with you. No, 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 no. That's, that's not it. I like I've, I've had to do it enough in GLTC, like gritting up, like in position of like, literally there's a number assigned to me to how good I am in the field <laughs> that I qualify <laughs> among. And usually like I'm not in the top whatever. So it's like, oh, cool. In a field of 55, you are number 21. It's like, uh, like uh, that, that doesn't feel great. So it's like I've, it's, it's not dread, but like for me, what I've learned is it's, it, it is that comparison that eats away at me. It's like, so if I think I'm a number 21, like that sucks. So it's like, if I do better, it's like, well, he must've just gotten lucky. But if I do worse, it's like, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's about a 21. He's a mid packer. You know, it's like, 
but what do what do I want to think about myself? How do I want to perform? Which is what I hear Becky saying. It's like trying to focus on yourself in a competitive environment, which um, your first official competition was one lap, wasn't it? Yes. And, you know, going to be doing foreshadowing. She's going to be doing more of that this year. It's like when you're directly being competitive, you are comparing yourself by nature to other people. And it's hard to keep that out of your mental equation because it can't drive you. But I think the difference is that I'm not hundred percent sure if you appreciate Scott is that no matter what somebody is going to compare Becky to you. No, I, and I'm and I'm not entirely that. certain that the world works in the reciprocal way. I'm not sure everybody immediately compares Scott to Becky. They will not. I'm going to do it for them. Okay, but I like like emotionally that feels different. You appreciate that? No, because I'm not Becky. <laughs> I'd also like to add in I don't want to harp on this too much, but you're talking about like the feeling that you internally have of not belonging. But imagine if you pulled up to grid or you pulled up to a track day and there were 150 women there and there were three dudes. (laughs) And you already had that. You already had that. uh, I don't belong feeling. You are describing kindergarten field trips. (laughs) Okay. So you understand. 100%. (laughs) Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, like I've I've been on I've been on field trips with you know five buses full of kindergartners and all the teachers and all the chaperones and I've literally been including the bus drivers I've literally been the only male involved in that entire procedure, um, and so it's really hard to convince yourself that you do belong when there's something so striking, and I'm not saying that I'm the only one that. <laughs> No, but everybody, but there's some patronizing that goes on no matter what, because you're a little bit of a novelty. Yeah. And that never feels good. I never felt good to me. But what I can appreciate again, because that isn't my experience. What I can appreciate is how Becky has to, at least seemingly from where I am, like has to fight constantly like if it's in her own head if it's external whatever because from prep to driving to the event to being greeted by somebody at registration who says oh that's so great honey go get a girl or something like that and like in in the best of intention but it's like it's it's all reinforcing this fact that you are not normal you are not the the middle here you are one of the edges and so that takes extra effort on every front and so when she gets mad when she gets frustrated when she gets bitey because things aren't yeah (laughs) that's right i said it um because (laughs) things either aren't going the way she wants to or something like that like it's all part of that same ecosystem that says and kind of 
how it is, is you are not our typical customer here. You are not our typical competitor here. You are young, which is one thing. You're a woman, which is another. And... Well, at this point, you're new. Yes. Like, you're not, you're not new, but, like, when, you're, when you go do track stuff, you're one of the new kids driving. Yes. Even though I've, um, I've been there for a long time. <laughs> right. Very right. new at driving. Yeah. Relatively new at driving. Yeah, and until you... I don't know. There's, there's a point where you show up and everybody knows your name and they kind of know where you belong in groups and everything's fine. When I was driving with NASA, it was like a year in. Like, these were the guys I started with. We all have moved forward, you know. That was the first time I felt like I belonged, like, in the group because everybody treated me like I belonged in the group. And so that's going to take a while no matter what. Well, and I think when you belong to, you have friends who are rooting for you. And like, I think about some track days where I knew all the people on grid and they're like, hey, that was awesome. I saw you not break into turn one. But if you're a new person at a new track event, you only get recognition for doing bad things. Yeah. Like the dude who kept getting your sessions black flag? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to save all that till next week and it's going to be good. And you're going to hear a really judgmental Scott, which I kind of feel bad about sometimes. But um, but I think this is a good segue for Sunday Cup things. Is this where you're going? No, I wanted I was I was yeah. ready to segue into that anyway. So, so go. And, and I want to hear from Becky kind of more from her own words, but I think what I've seen has been what's been great is Sunday Cup like totally like enveloped Becky and Mooncake into their ranks with complete open arms and um, several drivers in particular like welcomed her expertise as kind of tire and setup guru into Sunday Cup which I think is from what I've seen has been very healthy yeah that's definitely a group where i feel really excited to compete with them and uh i don't have any dread because they're all my friends and i'm going to be happy for them doing well and they're going to be happy for me doing well and nobody's going to say that i suck if i don't do well we're going to have a fun week at one lap <laughs> so excited ac yeah, cup holders. We, yeah, you have air conditioning and a radio and all those fun stuff. Cup holders is what Sound I'm excited definitely. about. Oh, <laughs> cup holders are going to be amazing. But the other the other thing is because we're going to have our own our own run group. Um, I think that's really going to take a whole bunch of the pressure off. Um, the first couple years I did one lap, I was always really nervous about making sure I lined up in the right spot in the run group, so I didn't hold somebody back and I didn't pass somebody and. Especially yep. the first year I did it in the Cadillac. The Cadillac was a was a big, imposing, fast car uh, that I was not driving to its potential, and so it was really hard to figure out where to be. Um, it was hard for people to figure out where I should be, um, and that was mentally difficult. Um, and it got better as we went along. And Brian and our Brian and I were doing about the same thing in a crappy Civic. And I'm I'm actually super excited this year about the fact that everybody in our group will just be in the right spot. And so that that stress is just not there at all. So it's that's an extra cool. layer of 
things that you don't have to think about too much. Yeah, yeah that's going to be really good. And like you said, everybody's nice and we're all friends and it's going to be so much fun. But also I do want to win. She does. And this is evidenced by the fact that in our little group chat that we have with, you know, the 20 people who were interested at the time, you know, because initially like I had pitched the idea to the group as like, we'll call it like Sunday cup plus. So it's like, let's open up a few like one lap specific rules just to like be a little more interesting. Hey, if you want to do big breaks, go for it. It's not, it's not going to break the class if you want to do an air dam and under tray like it's pretty easy to undo go for it if you want to do like a tiny rear wing or something it's like go like just open it up a little bit you know um and you know was it like a month ago pete brought it up so we're just doing like sunday cup stuff it's like i'm i mean we had talked about like allowing some of these things and you know he kind of got a little on his back legs a little bit about it and he's like well you know, what's the big deal about air dams? It's like, well, we already bought one, dude, because we had all agreed that this was going to be a thing. He's like, well, I'm not doing it. I'm like, that's fine. Becky's going to be doing it because that's what we talked about doing. So, yeah. See, my recollection of the event. Why two things when you can all ask one thing? Yeah, exactly. My recollection of the event is we kind of went, yeah, but it's not really, like, it's not relevant. Do it. Have fun with yourselves. Exactly. And I, I still feel that way. Like, that's fine. I, I I get that an undertrain and air dam will add something to it. I don't think it will. It's add not going to per- win the event. No, it's not going to change the order in the event. The order in the event is still going to come down to that team's ability to drive those six tracks. Now, the one thing I think it will give us is better gas mileage. And to be honest, I think that's that's a thing. <laughs> So I think the problem, if the Mazda 2 has a problem, it's that it's a complete shit freeway car. To be honest, it's better than the Miata ever was. So it's, I, okay. I, I, I don't know. Like, it's all relative to us. Like, the the two Mooncake, let's call it by its proper name, okay. is going to be a better highway cruiser than the Miata ever was. This is true. But really, they Mazda did not build it to be a 75-mile-an-hour car. Like, you can... When I had mine, I could chart my mileage versus speed. And anything above, like, 68, your mileage just starts to fall off a cliff. And at 75 or 80, the mileage you're getting is absurd for a car that size. But that's, that's any fit. That's most of these cars. Like, the only car in our group that actually is more geared from the factory that way is going to be yours. The Kia Rio. Bob's car. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Now again, like as he's admitted, that makes it a less capable track car, but the Rio five is going to be the best highway cruiser. Full stop. So excited about that. Yeah. Have fun. I don't think the automatic, I think the automatic fits are actually slightly better on the freeway than the manual fits. Um, Yeah. The, the fits are super buzzy. I mean, they're just geared super short for city things. Yeah. Um, and we did, my kids and I did the three-week trip we did from Texas to Florida to Maine. We did that in my daughter's fit. And it was, 
we always chose the non-freeway route for that reason. Like if there was a way to get between A and B and not take the freeway, we specifically went around and didn't take the freeway because the car was so much happier if you could be 55 to 60 miles an hour. Um, yeah, this weekend we did some 75 mile an hour cruising with the with our race trailer behind it, um, kind of doing some tests. And it still gets between 27 and 33. Usually it was high 20s, I think, in gas mileage. Which, I mean, and it's all RPM at that point, really. And it, it cruises at a lower RPM, again, certainly than the Miata ever did. And certainly lower than my first-gen Fit did as well. Okay. Yeah, I just remember, like, like going... There was a gap between my ownership of, the, of my Mazda 2 and my Accord. But holy cow, was the Accord a better yeah. freeway car. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this year on the one lap, we're... Um, you know, Becky competed in two events last year at NOLA and Gingerman. And then both tracks that she had at least had like one session on. And then this year we are going to be splitting it evenly. Do we want to give that away here? Sure. Sure. So day one, um, I'm going to be doing the wet skid pad and the autocross. Uh, day two is Nashville Super Speedway, which is a small version of Daytona Road Course, which Becky will be doing and will be her first competitive event at a track she's, until that morning, will never have set foot on. And then we are at CMP after that, which I will be doing. Then Barber, which I will be doing. And Lanier is that day as well, which I'm super excited about doing that again because I think I know what the game in <laughs> Sunday Cup Cards is going to be. And it's not going to be about speed. It's going to be about distance because <laughs> these cards are going to be so painfully slow. I think it's going to be more about who can travel the least distance. <laughs> I mean, that's all. That's how it always is with yeah. these. Like even on a road course, there's lines. There are times you will take a line that would <clears throat> that would otherwise be suboptimal oh, yeah. because you're you're just not carrying enough speed for the optimal line to make sense and so you just take the shorter line through there um and then we are doing is Heartland right after that what's it's Barber Lanier Lanier however you say it uh, Heartland, I'm going to be doing um, because hopefully we're going to be doing the um, GLTC there later this year, so I'd really like to get some laps there. Becky will be doing the drag, both drag events at Heartland, which she's excited about. Um, and then we're going to Putnam, which Becky's going to be doing. And then the dry skid pad at the end, Becky's going to be doing as well. You missed Hallett. Hallett. Becky's Hall- going to be doing Hallett. God, I love Hallett. I love Hallett, too. It's. I'm really bummed I'm not going to be driving it, but it's Becky has a bunch of laps at Grattan and Gingerman, and I kind of think Hallett's like somewhere in the middle there, so I think she's going to do well. I also Legit drove super ex- a parade lap there on our first one lap, so I have technically been on that track. I am legit just super excited for the track walk around Hallett. Like... Like the morning, like, 
a morning track walk around Hallett is such a fantastic thing. Is it the chicken dance song that really gets you going or what? No, it's just, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like riding a scooter through the woods, right? You're just, it's this uppy, downy, flowy trip through the woods. The sun's coming up. Birds are singing. You know, a lot of tracks feel like you're in like a cornfield, right? Like, cool. I'm riding a scooter through a cornfield. I'm super excited. But hell, it's not like that. Hell, it's like they built a track just for you to enjoy the experience. And it's really neat. Yeah, that's Blackhawk for us too, I think. It's it's just Blackhawk has Blackhawk has an aura around that place. It's really good. It doesn't have the elevation though. Like that's no. the one thing about Hallet is you get like the downhills on the scooter and like you can tuck and see how far you can go before you lose speed and have to, you know, kick again. It's so it's so fun. I've got a better scooter this year too. I'm we excited. We didn't have scooters that year. That's right. We were stealing everybody's scooters. That's right. That's when I was convinced. Walked Hallett that year. It's a long walk. Well, we also didn't have the trailer, so we just didn't have room. Yeah. Do you guys get big wheel scooters? This this now? this year. Well, we've had we've had the Razor scooters with the bigger wheels. Okay. But turns out they have a scooter with an even bigger wheel. No. And I I have that. And it is amazing. <laughs> I just, I just it's ordered only like 40, uh, a spare. Sc- it's only like 40, 40 more bucks over the the one that you guys use and we use and everything like that. It's it's got better bearings. It's got a bigger wheel. The handlebars go higher, which is great for a <laughs> tall guy like me. Like it's it's better. I just had a spare one delivered to Bob's house because I can't realistically take my scooter on an airplane so um it was worth it to to leave bob a, a separate one because i have to have a big wheel scooter to do one lap i have to well we are at track walking podcast on facebook and instagram uh track walking chats oz facebook group do you have things anybody you, you want to thank yeah aside from scott we don't care about that um all our sponsors, <laughs> Valkyrie Engineering, Kill, Killer Battery Kits, right? Killer Battery Kits, G Lock Brakes, uh, Marushka, Koenig. Doing great. <laughs> Scott usually does this. Yep. Bluegrass Race, uh, Professional Awesome. All of our, yeah, we have shirts now. I'll talk about that next week for uh, charity stuff. Uh, we raise money for the American Brain Tumor Association every year. And uh, we've got new shirts that were designed and are kind of fun. And we are, basically, if you make a donation of $25 or more, we send you a t-shirt to say thank you. And that's how we help raise money for that. So, any of your personal stuff like hashtags well ads i think i use the uh hashtag the race car that becky built when i post about the race car (laughs) instagram it's kind of weird yeah yah underscore becky underscore polly (laughs) it's a lot about my house but i also post about the race car sometimes so there you go. 
And uh, again, if you guys are getting sick of the one lap, just wait. <laughs> We're going to be talking about for that like so next much two months. So for the three of us, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Becky. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>